0: This week in Arsenal, Declan Rice and Jurian Timber make their club debuts, Arsenal make light work of the MLS All-Stars in D.C., a new-look midfield fails to impress as Arsenal fall to United in New Jersey, and Mikel Arteta calls for patience. Let's get into it. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. And welcome in to This Week in Arsenal, episode 22. It is July 23rd, 2023. I'm your co-host Sham, a.k.a. Cash Miro. That's an old Portuguese name that means kick the shit out of Arsenal players. And um, we're here to talk about, you know, a pretty disappointing 2-0 friendly defeat to Manchester United yesterday. Obviously, again, it's a friendly, so... There's a cap on how disappointed you can be, but here to talk about that with me is Sash, who you can follow on Twitter at Arsenal. Sash, my friend, uh, it's just you and me today, and um, I'm I'm pretty excited for us just to, you know, to talk, just the two of us.
1: How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing quite all right. Um, Had a late night yesterday because of the game. Was quite depressed after the game with how we played, even though it's just a preseason match. And yeah, woke up really late, typical relaxed Sunday. Um, And yeah, looking forward to the podcast, man. It's actually been a while since it's been just the two of us. So yeah, I think we have quite a bit uh, to catch on and really looking forward uh, to discussing not just the game yesterday, um, but also the way forward for us. And you actually went for the game earlier in this week and we uh, we were just discussing it on WhatsApp. And it seems like you had a really good time against uh, in the match against the MLS All-Stars in Washington. How was it? Like, how was the game and how was the whole experience?
0: Yeah, it was, it, it, it was great. I mean, I'm always um, very humbled whenever Arsenal decide to come over to, you know, this neck of the woods. Whether, you know, it was in D.C. proper this year or in Baltimore last season or... You know, they came they came to DC previously, yeah, I wanna say like four years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's it's always nice for to have them here. And um, you know, because DC isn't it's it's you know, it's a significant city, it's an important city in the US, but it's not the biggest city by any means. It's not even close. And um yeah, it was it was just really lovely to have them here and you know, I wanna I wanna shout out uh, Josh from DC Armory and Arsenal America and Arsenal themselves for, you know, just helping put together such a phenomenal experience for you know for the local Gooners here and all those who, who came out from you know out of town to, to be here as well. And you know, I met Frimpon from from Arsenal and he's just as lovely in person as he is uh, in all the content that he makes. Uh, hopefully you know we can have them on the pod at some point in the future and i met laurent and ray parlor and took a picture with them and you know i met some really really um lovely people as well you know gooners from all sorts of walks of life and you know you you, you and i were talking about this how you know in germany you kind of have that that arsenal community mm-hmm. and i'm starting to well, not starting, but you know, I I I kind of was reminded of of you know what we have here in terms of that kind of community as well. So, yeah, it was it was really lovely to spend a lot of time with people and meet some, you know, meet a bunch of new people and just enjoy the Arsenal together. In terms of the match, it you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, like everyone saw a pretty straightforward 5-0 victory. Got to watch Declan Rice make his debut and Jurian Timber make his debut. And I think it it, it was funny because the stadium, I think, was filled with a lot of very devout Gooners, and then there were also a lot of people there who were either all-star, like uh, sorry, MLS fans, or like more casual football fans, so the, the two moments when the stadium was the loudest was when Florin Balogun came on the pitch and when Declan Rice made his Arsenal debut which I think the the significance of that was not was not lost on most people so yeah all in all just um you know a really lovely few days had a lot of fun at the game and um yeah now now the next order of business is to go see one that actually counts in London
1: yeah absolutely man like we should definitely catch a game in London together uh, by the way but on your experience it sounds like such an amazing day and this is something that i was telling you as well like what's amazing about this club is that you can just meet anyone who you don't even know and if they happen to be an arsenal fan you just instantly like click and connect with them and i think this common ground is something which is really powerful and you experience this at the emirates as well like you when you're at the stadium you see fans from all walks of life all coming together to support the team that they love. And this, I think, binds us all together. So yeah, sounds like a really amazing day. And also it was a great game uh, to witness because obviously Declan Rice made his debut, as you mentioned, um, and Arsenal scored five goals and the goals were really good as well. So yeah, seems like an amazing day. And I'm really happy for you that uh, you managed uh, to experience that. But now we have to get on to more depressing times Uh, and we start (laughs) off with the game yesterday uh, against United. You know, honestly, going into the game, I had really high expectations. I thought that this would be the game where we show, I guess, the world that Arsenal have made an other step, you know. Um, And I thought it would be like last season, the match against Chelsea, where we absolutely tore them apart. I thought it's going to be a game like that where we really announce ourselves to the world again. Unfortunately, it was not the case. And I know it's a preseason game. I also know that Arteta experimented a bit with the team. But still, you know, I felt the manner of the performance was not great. And like the individual mistakes we made um, cost us again. So let's get into that. So to start off the game, I think both sides were a little bit cagey with the way they played. It was a bit of a game of chess, if I might put it that way. Both sides had chances to open the scoring. United, obviously, with Anthony, who missed a pretty straightforward chance. Arsenal with Martinelli, who should have definitely scored. Um, but we but he missed the target. And like he, then I think the rebound was saved by uh, Heaton. And I think it should have been probably 1-1, the score, after like 25 minutes. But obviously it was nil-nil and then United score from almost out of nowhere. Bruno Fernandes with a decent shot, which I think any keeper will save. And I think even Ramsdale saves it most of the time. Unfortunately, he makes a mistake and it's 1-0 to United. Few minutes later, Gabriel misjudges the bounce and Sancho is through on goal. And to be fair to Sancho, he finishes it really well um, and the score becomes 2-0 to United. And I think from that, Arsenal have a mountain to climb. And I guess what was frustrating was that we sh- sort of shot ourselves. You know, it was not like United did some incredible play and weaved their way through our defence. It was more down to us capitulating. And this, this is what I guess was the disappointing thing for me. And amidst all of this, United players started playing rugby, the likes of Casemiro and Lisandro Martinez absolutely kicking the shit out of our players and yeah it was just the most depressing first half like that one could imagine and sham i just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things here firstly the individual mistakes how big of a concern is it that we're making mistakes like i know it's pre-season but for me it seems to be like it's a little bit of an extension from last season towards the end where we were making these mistakes you know and It seems like these bad habits still need ironing out. And the other thing I wanted to speak to you about is like United players uh, absolutely kicking our players out of the park. Like, do you think that was like justified what they did, how they played? Do you think it was just Casemiro and Lissandro Martinez being who they are? Or did you see a dirty team trying to take advantage of the fact that it was a preseason game? And maybe trying to injure one or two of our players. What are your thoughts on these things?
0: Yeah, with um, with the individual mistakes, I think, you know, obviously the two that come to mind are the two that caused the goals, and I think Ramsdale's is more concerning than Gabrielle's because Ramsdale, we've we've seen this from him. You know, every every now and again, um, you know, from from last season, the season before, and I I feel with Ramsdale, and this is the case with a lot of goalkeepers of that similar you know profile, where they're they're really adept on the ball and and good at distributing, but I I just feel with Ramsdale, you get that at a very high standard. Um, obviously, we didn't get that last um, last night, but. I feel you get that at a very high standard from him generally and there's a bit of a sacrifice in terms of every once in a while he makes a pretty head-scratching mistake in terms of his shot stopping so you know that that Fernandez goal I you know I think that should have been saved and maybe nine times out of ten he does save that but yeah just the just the way he he got a hand onto it and it just crept in under him under his arm anyway It was it was really immensely disappointing. So yeah, I mean that's a little bit more concerning just because that's something that we've seen him do. But Mm -hmm. with Gabrielle, I think his mistake is kind of a byproduct of the fact that there were just so many new pieces around him and like different dynamics. You know, he had he had Rice in front of him and then Havertz in front of him and then Tomiyasu to his left. So, you know, it was a really disrupted left-hand side for him. Yeah. No, that's I a remember, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, um, you know, because I, I watched the first, like, 30 minutes, and then I, I've seen the goals, and um, I watched, I think it was between, like, the 72nd and 82nd minute of the match as well, because I was just waiting in line, and I pulled out the ESPN app on my phone. But... I I noticed in the opening minutes of the match, Anthony got into the box and Gabriel had to tussle with him a little bit, let the ball run out of play, and he turned to Rice, and they had a bit of a a um, back and forth in terms of, yeah, it, it, it was definitely kind of one of those conversations of you know you were supposed to be here, mm-hmm. uh, this isn't my man, um, you know someone has to uh, get in get in the middle of this passing lane stuff like that. So you know, I already felt that they were still kind of figuring it out in terms of how how to play with each other, and I think that just kind of unsettled Gabriel a little bit into, you know, whiffing the ball like he did and letting Sancho get a run in on goal. But yeah, I, and, and and another thing with the individual mistakes, I just think, I think a lot of our players are very aware of our history with united and how you know we haven't we don't have the head-to-head um stats against them that we that we wish we did so and i think generally just united are you know kind of the the image of a big club even if they don't play like it nowadays but i think just that that badge carries a certain weight to it that i think um makes Arsenal players a little skittish, frankly. And, you know, that's that's a very soft factory, but I I do think there's something to the fact that whenever we play United, even if it is a friendly, you know, we're playing United in front of 82,000 people, um, you know, on ESPN, and uh, in front of the entire world, basically. And I think, you know, something about that just makes our players really... Um, anxious and you know really want to do well and just kind of, um, you know, just put some out of sorts a little bit. So I think that's what happened in terms of the individual mistakes. In terms of you know united players trying to injure us, i I really don't like playing other Premier League teams in preseason, not just because you kind of show them firsthand what you're working working on tactically what your new personnel look like but also because it just gives them that opportunity to to hurt you literally to um you know to to go out and injure you and that that might be a cynical way to look at it and i don't think most teams step foot onto the pitch thinking yeah we're just gonna you know kick their most important player in the knee and and see what happens. But United are different. You know, United have Casemiro and Bruno Fernandez and Lissandro Martinez and Harry Maguire, and I think those four guys don't have that same level of respect for for their fellow professionals well being, to be frank. You know, I Yeah. Um especially Bruno Fernandez, I, I, you know, I, I think if we had a guy like Bruno Fernandez on our team, that would already be a disgrace. And if we made that guy captain, I, I think I would be ashamed because this is a guy who, you know, I've been watching for years now, go around and rake his studs down the back of other players. Achilles. He tried it, you know, last night I saw him do it against one of our players. I think it was Odegaard. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, he tries to. It was Martinelli, players. yeah, I think it Martinelli, was Martinelli. That's, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. He tries to injure players, um, and you know, he also tries to buy fouls and get people sent off with the most theatrical performances. Like I, I do not respect Bruno Fernandes the man one bit, and you know, I think Casemiro is, you know, just that little bit too slow for the English game, you know, and he's. He's probably past his prime at this point, and I think he tries to make up for that by just being a little bit more phys- uh, physical, a little bit more aggressive. I think Lissandro mm-hmm. Martinez just tries to kick people um, and and calls it defending. And um, Harry Maguire is literally called off- the
1: butcher. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's not that's not a kind nickname. People kept on you know calling him <laughs> the butcher for United. Yeah, it's because it's because he racks up bodies. Um, and then Harry Maguire's just a big oaf you know and um yeah i mean that guy just doesn't know how to tackle properly and somehow Gareth Southgate still still relies on him but yeah i just um united united especially are a team that like i just don't want to play ahead of the season because that that team is full of assholes full of cynical players who are desperate to show themselves as being better than arsenal they have diet heisenberg coaching them who's desperate to <laughs> to show up Mikel arteta and he keeps saying these weird things about us in in the media he spent the back half of last season complaining about our about us not having injuries um yeah it's just it, it, it's a team that wishes us no goodwill and that's the kind of team that i think yeah Probably even if they don't talk about it, I think there is an unspoken um, accord that they're going to try to leave one on us ahead of the season. So I don't like playing preseason matches against Premier League opponents, especially you know the actual rivals. Um, and and yeah, that's that's kind of a big reason why. But also that's just generally who they are. They're they're an aggressive, um, sometimes violent team. And yeah, I think we're just looking at another season where that doesn't get punished.
1: No, absolutely. I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head, and I don't have much to add to all of this. But what I will say <laughs> is that on a day like this, I miss Granite Shaka a lot. Like yesterday, a two footed Shaka tackle and him getting sent off uh, would have been amazing. I think yesterday was the day where I just wanted us to give it back to one of these United players. And I know people say you should not stoop down. Uh, to the levels of like your enemies but I think yesterday was the day where I wish we gave it back a little bit I think our players were playing like it was a preseason game a little bit within themselves but I feel like yesterday was the day if Granit Xhaka was there a nice two-footed tackle on Bruno Fernandes take the red card all day long (laughs) honestly like I was so annoyed because The tackle by Lissandro Martinez on Saka, by the way. Oh my god, that's like a leg breaker tackle. That's the sort of tackle that can have a player out for the season. And thankfully, Saka is a really strong guy and he survived it. But I think if it was someone else on the end of that challenge, it might have ended up very differently. So yeah, thankfully, there were no injuries. I think that's the thing I'm most happy about after yesterday like there were no like big injury concerns or anything like this uh considering how our players were constantly targeted and yeah we move on we will obviously face united in september in the league and yeah i'm looking forward to some revenge uh, during that match but
0: yeah there there was um a photo of arteta talking to lisandro after the game and they were both smiling but I just like to imagine what Arteta was actually saying was, you know, you better count your lucky stars that you didn't injure Saka today. Otherwise, otherwise, I'm sending guys to your house.
1: (laughs) Or maybe he was just smiling because he was like, "You should have joined us. Why the fuck did you go to United? Like, he would have been so perfect actually for us in that inverted left back role that Zinchenko plays. Like, I think, I think as a player, he's really good. It's like. It's just that, yeah. And maybe, I don't know, maybe if he was playing for Arsenal and he was fouling some of these United players, maybe we also look at it a bit differently. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, like, no one likes our players getting targeted. And I guess as France, we will always stick up for our players um, as we should. But after that first half, I think the second half was a little bit more flat. I think Arsenal had most of the ball as we were chasing the game in that second half. I don't think United had any big chances as such, but I think Arsenal could have scored on a couple of occasions. There was one interesting move in the second half where um, it was either Saka or Odegaard, it was from that right half space, clipping a ball and Havertz makes a really well-timed run. Unfortunately, the ball is just slightly over his head, so he was not able to bring it down. But I think the second half, I saw certain things that I liked about what we could do. And I think this is something, I guess, for us to take uh, going forward um, into the subsequent games. But I guess also on the other hand, one thing which slightly concerned me was the lack of decisiveness, which we will get into um, later on in the podcast. Arsenal obviously had few chances to score and they didn't take it. And Arteta said at the end of the game that we have to be efficient in the box. This is something he's been saying for a while. Um, and in football, obviously, goals give you all the momentum. And if Arsenal scored early on to Martinelli, and then if Havertz took his chance in the second half, or if that ball was a little bit better, the game is a different one. Because I think goals are the best thing in football. It gives you all the momentum in the world. You're on top, you have the momentum, the opposition is a bit shell-shocked, and you're going for the game. So. Yeah, I guess us not taking chances yesterday was a bit disappointing. But we also have to look at the positives. And I thought Martin Odegaard was phenomenal yesterday. I thought he was by far our best player uh, on the pitch whilst he was on. And Sham, I just want to ask you, like, how important is Odegaard to how we want to play? Because, you know, last season when Fabio Vieira was signed, people were like he could take Odegaard's place. And some was saying Smith could take Odegaard's place. And now this season, people like, no, Havertz could take Odegaard's place. But this guy has just scored 15 goals in the Premier League. Like, he's literally matched the all-time record from a midfielder in the season, which is Yaya Toure. And he, his form just continues to, like, stay the same. And in fact, he's evolving as a player. Like, I see that he's this preseason at least and maybe it's only me who's seeing this maybe it's not true but I feel like he's lost some weight this preseason and like I feel like he's even better now on the ball like in some of these half spaces he's I feel like he's taking players on a bit more and he's really imposing himself like I know this was the case last season as well for most of the games but I don't know something tells me that his game has gone to again a different level and Sham, I just want to ask you, like, is Odegaard the most important like player in the team? Because he's so overlooked. Like, when we have a bad game at Anfield, everyone is like, Ah, oh, Odegaard, you're, you're not playing well. Whilst like seven, eight other players have also been really poor. I just think the criticism of Odegaard sometimes is way over the top. And don't we have one of the best attacking midfielders in the world right now?
0: One hundred percent. Just just on the um, the point about like decisiveness in front of goal. It just it wasn't just the second half. Mm-hmm. I remember in the first half, Bartonelli yeah. missed you know a sitter, uh, two yeah. sitters actually because he got a second bite of the cherry. Um, yeah, yeah. And I felt that was a real turning point in the match. And that's that's that is I think my concern heading into the season is our efficiency mm-hmm. in front of goal because we just we don't have guys who have that kind of track record and maybe maybe Martinelli and Saka will make up for that um but that that's why I am really interested to see what we, what we do next summer because I think getting that killer in front of goal might be um on the agenda for for next for next summer's transfer window but about Odegaard um yeah he's he's up there in terms of our most one of our most important players I I think he was pretty good yesterday from what I saw. Probably the one of the bright spots for us in this team. And um, you know, I think I think his role's changing. You're right. And um I, I noticed, you know, in in build up Odegaard's kind of more focused on that second phase of, you know, getting the ball from the defensive third into the final third. And mm-hmm. Havertz has kind of taken over. Um, his role in terms of being someone who's like a, helping out in the final third and making an impact there because it was Havertz who off the ball was leading the, the press. We we're still pressing yeah. in that 4-4-2, but it was Havertz and Nketiah who were pressing in that manner, which by the way, the press did not look that good yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, I, I think Odegaard is performing this new role pretty well last season. Obviously he was monstrous one of one of the best players in the league not just at arsenal and i think people i think there are still some people out there who wanted us to sign um emmy buendia or james madison (laughs) and we got and you know we're really against odegaard and i think are just kind of holding on to to those preconceived notions um but yeah i mean i don't think it's really hard to see what there what there what there is to dislike about Odegaard, right? Can he be a little better in the tackle? Sure. But he's a you know he's a creative midfielder. That's not the first thing you ask for from him. Um Yeah, I just think he's a phenomenal player. He's got end product now. He's you know, he I think he played some really nice balls yesterday. There was one where he chipped it over the top for Enkedia, and Enkedia managed to muscle the you know, the butcher of Amsterdam or whatever out of the way (laughs) and um, you know, play play a nice little side pass across goal. And um I mean against against DC or I guess the MLS All Stars, sorry. He um he had that really lovely, you know, pass over the top switch to Martinelli on the counter for our fourth goal. I mean he you know he's just um he's a great creative player. I really love watching him. So yeah, um, I don't know why people get on his back, although I do get a feeling that Havertz is going to be that guy this season. And, um, yeah, I I'll, also, there is one thing I do want to say about Odegaard, which is I think Arteta sees a bit of himself in Odegaard, you know, between mm-hmm. him having that, the number eight jersey, or, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, excuse me again, one second, <clears throat> Sorry about that. Early in the morning. But I think back to when Odegaard got the number eight jersey and Arteta jokingly was like, be careful with that, Um, you know, because that was his
1: jersey number at Arsenal. No, no, he he didn't say it because of that. He said it because the greatest Arsenal midfielder in the history of the club and the history of the sport wore the number eight jersey. And that guy's name is Sir Aaron James Ramsey. (laughs) Um
0: Wait, Ramsey wore 16, didn't
1: he? Yeah, but then he wore the number 8. So after Arteta retired, like, in 2016, that's, okay, that's the 8 went was. to Ramsey. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> I, will,
0: I will forever associate Ramsey with 16, but, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, like, the Ramsey. FA
1: Cup final goal. Number 16,
0: Aaron, Aaron Ramsey! Ramsey! Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah well, so, so it was also <laughs> Ramsey's jersey, but you know first and foremost it was Arteta's and um you know I think Odegaard getting the number eight jersey getting the captain's armband being like this you know um James Cooper strong silent type um you know that uh, Tony Soprano would like um you know his leadership style is more by example than by barking orders on the pitch Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think Arteta just, you know, sees a lot of of himself in Odegaard, and also in terms of his game, where we're going to see Odegaard playing a little bit deeper this season, which is, you know, kind of what the transition that we saw with Arteta, where he came in primarily as a creative midfielder for Everton and slowly but surely kind of became more our our holding midfielder. I don't think Odegaard's going to become a six, but he definitely is going to be sitting deeper and serving as more of that link between our six and our um our front five. So um yeah, I, I think Odegaard's gonna be one of our best players again this season. And if people want to get on his back, then I don't think it's because of the football that he's
1: playing. Absolutely. I just think certain people, as you mentioned, they didn't want Odegaard to begin with and they just carry on with the agenda. But man, what a player. Like, oh my god. I think Even towards the end of last season, when things were going a bit difficult for us, I still think even against Southampton, when things were hard, he scores the goal to make it 3-2, a really good goal. Even Newcastle away, when things are going not so good for us, he's the guy that comes up with the goal and puts in a real captain's display. And even against Chelsea, when we go into that game four games without a win, He's the guy who scores uh, for us and puts in really good performance. So I think this notion that he disappears when the going gets tough is very harsh. And I think he's in fact one of the few players who actually drags this team out of like a difficult situation. And even back in the day, like 2021, April, when he had just come on loan, I remember we were 3-0 down to West Ham and Odegaard absolutely pulled the strings and God is back into that game. And I think he's that sort of player, you know, who actually steps up in difficult moments. And yeah, I agree with you completely. I think this campaign is also going to be a spectacular one uh, from him and really looking forward to see him continue to grow with us. And another positive yesterday, I thought personally was Jurian Timber. And I just think he has fit in really seamlessly into how we are playing. He sort of mentioned it in his interview itself that, like, the style of play between Arsenal and Ajax is quite similar, and as a result, he has lesser adaptation required. Obviously, the Premier League is a different ball game, and by the pace of the game is much faster uh, than the Dutch league. But technique is technique, no matter which league you're in. And what Timber showed yesterday is that he's a player with phenomenal technical qualities. I think the way he protected the ball was phenomenal. The way he offered himself up in build-up and progressed the ball was really good. Defensively, I thought he read the game very well. And, of course, Garnaccio hardly had a sniff in that whole first half. And I think this was in part also down to Timber's positioning. And I thought he was really, really effective with the way um, he did basically everything yesterday. And this, I think, is a good thing for us because it's competition for places. Obviously, that right-back slot for now belongs to Ben White. But Timber pushing White would be a really good thing, I think, for us. Because these are two quality options to have over there. And I guess this is what it is now for Arsenal. like Let the best players play. It's important to have really good depth. And if there's injuries to keep positions in the first 11, you you want like a good plan B coming in and I think Timber offers that not just for right back but he strikes me as a player that can easily adapt and play at centre back But he's obviously played in before uh, for Ajax and even for the Netherlands and honestly I think he could go down as like the bargain deal uh, of the summer for what he brings because like I don't know too many players that can do what he does play basically anywhere across the back line show really good composure even in that midfield area, like inverting. He obviously has a low centre of gravity, which makes him, I think, capable of receiving the ball in any position on that football pitch almost. So, fantastic from Arsenal to actually get this deal done at the price that we did. And Sham, I just want to get your thoughts on the player. Like, what a signing he was. Because we've been crying out for a guy who can come in and fill in Whatever required across the defense, and I think Arteta has got the perfect player to do this. Don't you think?
0: Yeah. When when Rohan was on here last episode, he called Timber, you know, pound pound for pound, or I mean, you know, kind of in terms of um, output to to spend, probably the best signing of the summer, just in terms of what we're getting for what we're paying. Yeah, I Yeah, and I I think that's I think that's spot on because you know, he's 22, but he he has this um kind of like this vibe, like he has almost like this veteran mentality. He looks very unfazed. And um yeah. you know, he's big Arsenal fan, so you know, he's going to give us all for the club. But more importantly, it just you know, one of the things that Arteta and Edu and our recruitment staff have valued the most in players that we've signed during their tenures is versatility. And Timber practically personifies that, right? He can he can play right back and, and within that, right he can overlap, He can um, you know he can invert. One of, the, one of the first things he did in DC is he came on and immediately inverted next to Declan Rice. Um, you yeah. know, so that they were basically the pivot, which I'm, you know, I'm really rooting for that to be a thing because I think it'd be so fun. But you know, he can invert, he can overlap, he connected really well with Saka at times on the right flank against United. You um, can play center back, and um, you know, I think we might see him do that as part of a three, and then you know, he can play left back as well. I'm not sure how often we're gonna see that considering we have like six options at left back these days but you know (laughs) I think I think that's also you know something nice to have in your back pocket and he can do all of that to a really high level right he's very technically proficient um you know really good passer of the ball but also defensively he's you know aggressive passionate in the tackle as Arteta would say he's quick he's athletic um you know he he really strikes me as someone who could be the full package for us and you know i while some people i think worry about what that means for ben white i get excited because you know they're both excellent players and if if one overtakes the other at that right back position then you know there will be other ways we can deploy the the overtaken player but it's just you know it's just so much quality to add to your squad and um yeah i'm just i'm just so excited to see what he does i i, I mean I remember when we were linked with him and i went and checked his fb ref just to kind of get a sense of the player and you know i might have said this to you already i've never seen so many 99s in an fb ref profile um so yeah yeah yeah. i yeah so i I think he's going to be a terrific player for us and um yeah i'm just i'm just excited to see see where we go with that
1: yeah absolutely you know those that was 99 percentile Things I think even Lissandro Martinez was very high on those things last summer and Aston obviously couldn't land him and I think Arteta was fairly desperate to make sure that we get Timber who also United wanted by the way um, and I think it's fantastic that we managed to get him ahead uh, of other teams because for this price you're not going to find any other player who can give what he does in the market so yeah absolutely buzzing for this one and I think he's the sort of player whose value people will realize as the season goes on. The moment like White might be unavailable or one of our centre-backs are unavailable or we want to rotate during the cup games, that's when I think the value of Timber will really come to light. Because until then, you only have one of him or Ben White playing, so people might not see the value. But there are certain players who I think their value just goes up as the season goes on. And Timber is one of these players because as I mentioned in past seasons like we have regretted as we went into the season and kept going that after a couple of injuries we were just not the same team anymore so yeah I'm looking forward to this a lot and I think he's going to be phenomenal for us and yeah absolutely buzzing and gas that we managed to bring him um, to us so on this note I also want to speak about there's two substitutions that uh, really made a positive impact, I thought, yesterday. And that's Kieran Tierney and Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, obviously, Tierney has fallen a bit out of favour with Arteta. Like, there's no like doubt about that. But I thought yesterday, what he showed is that he's a player who can give us something different to some of the other players that we have. Because if you look at our fullbacks, we have White, we have Timber, And then we have Zinchenko, we have Tomiyasu. And all of these players are basically at their best when they're inverting. Obviously, Ben White has improved a lot his offensive game uh, in recent months. But I would still consider them to be players who are better when they are inverting and when they're playing closer to the midfield or they're playing a little bit behind. I think the biggest strength is in build-up. Whereas Kieran Tierney's... Strengths lie in his ability, like in the final third, to overlap and play that killer ball uh, into the box. And I thought yesterday he played really well, a lot of energy. And I think he gave us the width on that left-hand side, which I think allowed Trossard when he came on and also Smithrow in that left eight position to really thrive. And Smithrow as well, I thought he looked really sharp yesterday. And looked more like the Smith-Rowe that we knew from a couple of seasons ago when he was our top scorer with like 10 goals, I believe. So, Sham, how important is it that players like Tierney and Smith-Rowe, who were out of favour for Arsenal last season, come and really show that, hey, I'm not accepting my position or as being like this sub-player. I want to really push those Uh, in front of me how important is it that they continue to perform in the manner that they're doing it is
0: massively important because um you know i think there's avenues into you know kind of big roles for both of them in this team and um for 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 tyranny you know i think obviously there's Zinchenko who can invert and is probably the best technical player on the team and you know, really good at controlling possession. And then you have Kivior, who I think is showing kind of a propensity for playing a similar role, obviously not to the same level that Zinchenko does, but I think he can do it as well. And he brings some defensive solidity to it. And then with Tomiyasu, you have probably out and out the most secure defender in the team, um, but not a guy who provides much going forward per se. So, what Tierney gives that the others don't is that ability to actually go up the flank and and provide danger yeah. in the final third and you know I think having Timber in the team really allows him to do that because we can I mean just generally just you know starting to use inverted right backs I think really gives Tierney that opportunity to um to go in and kind of make that role his own and whenever we have to invert a right back and play a more attacking left back, I think that's there for 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 Tierney to take over. As for Smith-Rowe, I think his way back in the team right now is through Fab- Fabio Vieira, right? Um, I mean, it could be at the left eight position, and maybe he is backing up Havertz at the left eight position, but I think right eight is also something that's open to him. Um, just because, you know, we've seen how good he is combining with Saka. And, um, you know, when he first broke into the, te- into the team, he was kind of drifting over to that right-hand side a lot. But, yeah, I think Smith Rowe especially has the talent to to make himself a significant part of this team because I think for a while, and, you know, I, I'm actually talking about all, all this in an article that's going to come out on the site hopefully tomorrow, but you know for a while there were concerns right because of his injuries but also because of the fact that we had Odegaard and Trussard and Vieira and now we've signed Havertz and you know we reportedly got linked to Mohamed Kudus and um, you know we just have these players who can occupy the same positions that he's in but you know, I think he comes in and he provides that ball security in the final third. He provides that that zippy passing and, and give and go style of play. He is six feet tall, which, you know, I think his 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 physical um or his physicality and his his stature are very underrated in that respect. Um so yeah, I think, you know, if he's fully over this injury that he got Hopefully fixed with uh with the surgery back you know back in September of 2022, then I think we're gonna see a very motivated, very consistently productive Emil Smith Rowe, and um, you know talent wise I think he has it in him to overtake at least Vieira and and Trussard in the pecking order for those places. So yeah, I mean I think they both can can come in and be assets to this team. I I will say with with Tierney you know I'm just not sure if that's going to happen because I think mm-hmm. you do need a high level of technical quality in this team now and you know again I missed most of the game but from what I saw when Tierney was on the pitch um, you know he just wasn't really providing that much in terms of in terms of his build up play and playing up yeah. the flank so um you know he does have his uses, but the thing about Tierney that I'm worried about is that eventually someone out of Kivior and Zinchenko um, and and Tomiyasu, maybe even Timber, are going to do enough of that mm-hmm. of that kind of bombing up the flank style of play where maybe Tierney becomes redundant. But um, mm-hmm. we'll see. I think he was fine yesterday, but definitely missed a little bit um, of that build-up when he was on the pitch.
1: No, absolutely. Like, I thought yesterday he was fine also because uh, with the of the way we were set up, you know. Um, I think we had players in, the, in that half space like Trossard and Smithrow who were dropping deep and picking up the ball. So I think for Tierney, it's a question of if you can give him the conditions to do what he does best and that's still a question mark whether our system can afford that so it'll be quite interesting to see because there's not been much reported interest in Tierney like I know there was talk of Newcastle a couple of months back but it's really not led to anything so it might be interesting to see if he might actually end up staying and if he does end up staying it'll be quite intriguing to see how Arteta uses him but I also wanted to now get into some of the negatives uh, from yesterday's match and for me the first thing that I felt didn't really click was the midfield three of Declan Rice, Odegaard and Kai Havertz. Personally, I felt that like part of it was down to the fact that they've never really played together like in against a decent side and yesterday they still seemed to try to be in sync with each other. Like in certain moments, you could see that they were not on the same wavelength and I think that sort of affected us. But also from a purely tactical point of view, does that midfield three of Rice, Odegaard and Havertz give you enough in the build-up? Like look, Declan Rice is a good player on the ball, like there's no doubt about it and I think he can definitely be moulded into a lone six in the longer term. But immediately for now. I'm not sure about the practicality of having him in the sixth role with two number 10s or two pure 10s in front of him because Havertz as well doesn't really give you much in the build-up. Like His best actions are towards the final third when he's making those runs uh, into the box and his clever movement in between the lines. And I think Odegaard as well. If you involve him too much in the build-up, I think there's a disconnection between him and Saka if that happens. So even Odegaard's best actions come in that right half space when he's closer to Saka is. And obviously Arteta tried to use Timber in a more inverted sort of role. Uh, And I guess the thing is Timber and Rice have hardly played together as well, so there's a bit of a disconnect there. So I just thought all in all that midfield and our build-up yesterday was a total mess. And this is not a slight on Declan Rice who I think is going to be a phenomenal player for us. But it's more down to the fact that Arsenal have not really deployed this sort of system in a long time. Because throughout last season the system that we played until Xhaka, Partey and Odegaard. And the thing with those three is that you have two players in Partey and Xhaka who are what I would consider behind the ball players. I think Jaka showed last season that he has more about him even ahead of the ball in, in the final third, and far play to him for reinventing himself and doing what he did. But I still think that is a huge jump to go from party Jaka Odegaard to Rice Havertz Odegaard. Like it's just completely changed everything in midfield. And whilst this might work in the longer term. Sham, surely we cannot start with this midfield three going into the season and I personally think we should play party, Rice and Odegaard to begin with and from there look to evolve to whatever we can evolve. So my question to you Sham is firstly what are your thoughts on the midfield situation and why do you think Kai Havertz fits in because I'm not sure that he is the left eight that we need or we want. He could be that, but I still think that might take some time uh, to implement. Just interested to hear your thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not overly concerned at the moment, but I think what we saw yesterday was just a bunch of guys who had never played together, again, up against United at an 82,000-person stadium, which, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just very disjointed. And people didn't really know where to be. Again, the press was not good. I, There's a clip I saw earlier where um, United have the ball in their third. And Havertz runs up to press. And then, you know, yeah. Saka and Odegaard and, um, and Martinelli all kind of hang back. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, was, it looked like Havertz was trying to press three guys on his own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think just a lot of things weren't really working. That day, and I understand the idea in theory, right? And I, I, I like it where you have Rice playing the six, and then you have the right back inverting, and then you have, you know, probably like a Kivior or a Tomiyasu on the left to kind of provide that defensive solidity um, for Havertz. And then ahead of those three players, you have Odegaard and Havertz, and Odegaard obviously dropping a little bit deeper and functioning as the the second phase midfielder um so yeah I like the idea in theory and um it's just I think it's going to take some time I think Arteta is going to persist with it um it just for me it's not about how we how we line up at the start of the season I think it's how we line up the next play next time we play United um but yeah if we play Rice Odegaard Havertz against Forest then I'm not going to be too surprised I think that is At the end of the day, the midfield that Arteta is going for, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be Timber inverting, maybe it'll be White inverting, maybe it'll be Party inverting from right back. We'll see. But I think that three that we started the game with, I think that's what the end goal is for Arteta this season. So it's just it's just a, a matter of hammering out the finer details there in terms of Havertz. I think his position is as a left eight. But it's going to be a much different style of left eight than we saw with Shaka, right? I think Havertz is effectively going to function as more of a second striker at times, um, where he's going to, you know, pick up the ball and progress it uh, either by carrying a little bit or by, you know, playing it out to the wing or playing it out to, to Odegaard. And then, you know, I think his job is to kind of drift into the box and and get himself an opening, you know, to be able to latch onto a cross or a pass or something and, and score from there. But I think the thing about Havertz and the way that we want to use him is that requires a lot of defensive solidity behind him, which clearly we didn't have yesterday. And it just, it really needs just needs to be more rehearsed, more orchestrated. So, you know, I think this is all still just in the process of coming together. We've only had these guys officially on the pitch together for like, I don't even think it's been two weeks. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I I want to give it a little bit more time and see, you know, how they mesh together over the next few weeks. But, yeah, it was, um, you know, tough showing yesterday. I, I think for me, yesterday was always going to be either a delightful surprise or an obvious work in progress. And clearly, it's the latter. So, We'll see. I, I I think the idea is there, and I think the ideas sound. It's just that you know, it's it's complicated, and um, it's it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts, and so I think you mm-hmm. you really need some time for those players to really just get the details right and get to know each other and get comfortable. And, um, you know, kind of develop that second nature
1: that you need to play that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Arteta mentioned that as well. He said in his post-match conference that the players should play 55 times together in that way. So they gain that familiarity. So, yeah, absolutely. I think as a fan base, we need to be more patient as well. I know last season that Jesus and Zinchenko, they came and they made an immediate impact. But I think changing your midfield profile completely and changing how you're set up completely with new players will take time. And I think it's quite clear the direction Arteta wants to head in. He obviously wants to play like a lone six with two tens in front of him. I think that's quite obvious. But I guess it's about when we can evolve to that. And yeah, I think yesterday showed that we are still not there yet. But perhaps, you know, in some weeks we can reach um that point and it'll be interesting to see how and when we do it it'll also be interesting to see if arsenal sign another midfielder a more natural number eight so yeah a lot of evolving paths and i'm quite interested to see uh what happens and yeah and the the second, sorry. Next, yeah.
0: yeah sorry not, not, uh, sorry to cut you off but just just to no. add um you know i wasn't I, it? I think, you know, obviously we don't have 55 games worth of time for this to work. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there is, there is kind of a point at which either it works or it doesn't, and you just keep mm-hmm. working on it on the training ground until you're ready to try it again in a game of actual consequence. But yep. also, I do think there are going to be situations in which party comes on and either plays as a six or plays as an eight. You know, we could see. Um, I know the one that y- you know, you and a lot of other people are talking about is party as a six, Odegaard right eight, um, Rice left eight. Mm-hmm. I do think that is something that we're going to see at points. Um, I think party might even, you know, we could see Rice as a six, party as the right eight, and then maybe Odegaard is a left eight, maybe Havertz is a left eight, maybe Smith mm-hmm. Rose something, right? So I-, I think the important thing is that there are multiple configurations for this midfield that are viable and, um, I think more than in previous seasons, it's going to come down this time around to just who we're playing and what's gonna work best against them.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is something which is a really good point that we have to probably adapt a little bit to our opposition. And previously we didn't have the tools to do it. We had limited depth and we just had to play the same midfield. But I guess, like for example, if we go away to Anfield or go away to the Etihad and you want more protection, you probably play party and rise together in that midfield to make yeah. sure that they um, protect the back four. But maybe if you're playing, let's say, um, Forest at home, with all due respect, <laughs> or maybe in a game like that, you can just play with one defensive midfielder and two uh, tens in front of him. But it'll be interesting to see how Arteta does it and how he manages and rotates the squad because this is one thing that a lot of people criticised him for last season, myself included. So, now that he has his players, I'm quite intrigued to see how he rotates and manages uh, the team. And, yeah, it'll be very, very... uh, It'll be very stable, I'm sure, in a few weeks' time, once the players have gelled together. But until then, there's this adaptation phase. And, yeah, I think, as fans, we need to be patient and get behind the new signings and back them to come good, which I'm sure uh, they will in due course. My other negative that I wanted to speak about was something we already touched upon briefly on the lack of decisiveness, but I wanted to speak to you more on the striker situation. Like yesterday, Arteta chose to start Eddie and Katia. I think he was decent, but the thing is like with Eddie, like his holder play is okay. His finishing is good, but not elite. I wouldn't say it's elite. And I think his movement is good. And what I see in Eddie is just like a decent to good player. But is that what Arsenal needs, Sham? Like, we also have Flo Balogun, who, by the way, didn't get a kick in yesterday's game at all. Uh, and he looks yeah, like he's going to be sold. Yeah, he's. he it looks like he's going to be sold and he's on his way out. Would you also sell Eddie and just look to bring in a striker who is really complete? Or maybe play Havertz as, like, the rotational option for Jesus and buy a new midfielder. Like, how would you go about this? Because personally, like, I've always been someone that defended Eddie a lot. I always have been a big fan of him, his character, his attitude and all of these things. But is he the guy you want as your plan B striker when you're trying to compete with Man City, who have Harland, who have Alvarez... I think, I don't know, I think for what we wanted last season, he was fine. We want, like, I think last season, Champions League football was the objective. We obviously exceeded that. But this season, we're going to be in the Champions League. We're going to be playing Bayern, the Barcelonas. the Maybe we even face Man City in the Champions League, which is going to face all these elite teams in Europe, Real Madrid and all of these teams. And something tells me that we should sell both of our strikers, you know, and just buy someone... Who's polished? Who's like strong, tall, athletic? Can finish. Gives us something completely different to what uh, Jesus does. So, Shem, how would you go about this slight dilemma, if I might say so?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, I think it's pretty clear at this point that we're selling Balogun. and you know, it it, it makes sense as to why, right? You know, he he's coming off surely what's going to be one of the best seasons of his career with uh with reams and he just became the face of you know one of the most recognized national teams in the game uh a national team that's going to host the next world cup there's you know there's a lot of money a lot of marketing rights in that so you know Balogun's something of a cash cow right now he might be our most valuable asset to sell to be honest you know out let me rephrase that, actually he's the most valuable asset that we'd want to sell right now and um mm. yeah i mean if if we we're talking about like player quality then yeah i would love to pick Balogun over over in kedia and, and keep Balogun at the club but i think unfortunately when you spend 200 plus million in a summer you have to balance the books a little bit and so i think unfortunately Balogun is going to be sacrificed to make that happen um but with Enkedia I think this is gonna be Enkedia's last season at the club, either way. I um I because I do agree. I think we're 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 in a whole new level now. And um, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I, I just I don't see Enkedia really providing what Jesus does. And even even yesterday against United, there were times when he didn't drop back when he should there are times when he dropped back Um, and the ball just bounced off him or you know some one of the defenders dropped back with him and got the ball off him and you know i just don't think he you don't he doesn't replicate what jesus does enough to to the point where i'm overly comfortable with him being our second mm -hmm. choice and i don't think he is to be honest i think Mm -hmm. i think trussard is still our second choice center forward and um yeah, I don't know. I you know, I I just I I like Eddie. I think he's a really good player, but his his style of play just has never really seemed to fit in at Arsenal and how we want to play. So I think what's going to happen is he's going to play this season. He's going to be fine, but maybe not as good as we needed him to be. And I think next summer You know, we're going to decide that we, well, I think next summer, again, we're going to try to make like a, a, you know, big name striker, our marquee signing, but I think at the same time, Enkedi is going to decide that, you know, he needs to go start somewhere. So, yeah, I think that's the situation with Eddie. In terms of um, whether I'd sell him in addition to Balogun, I think you could. I don't think, I don't even think you need to replace him if you sell him Mm -hmm. because, you know you have Jesus and then you you have Trussard and then you have Havertz, and then even Martinelli I think is now in that center forward pecking order so you've got some good options there i would sell Inkedia and maybe sign a wide player but mm-hmm. yeah it's it, it's one of the more interesting decisions Arteta is making going into the season and maybe it's just because you know we basically rebuilt our midfield and we signed Timber so, there just isn't enough money in the bank to, you know, bring on another striker. Yep, um,
1: yep. But yeah. But we'll try to cut you off, but what sure. other positions would you sign? Like, since we can't buy a striker, if Arteta also said that we're still looking at players, like, if opportunities arise. So, is that a specific position that you personally would look at? Like, right now, as the squad stands? Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh,. I don't think we're signing a midfielder. And I don't think we need to sign a midfielder unless we sell party. Mm-hmm. And um, talk about that has cooled recently. So, I think we're still interested in a right side forward, it sounds like. So, I think that's where we're going to try to go. I think it's really interesting that we didn't even bother going for Musa Diaby. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, the, right, the right-winger market is a dumpster fire right now so (laughs) um yeah let's see what i i I do think that's that's the that's the position we're looking at and i think that was the idea when we Mm. showed interest in kudus because he Mm. can play Mm. right wing also you know he is he is typically an eight but he can play on the right flank so i think that is something that we are thinking about when we i guess we're reportedly looking at him but as a stands, you know um I like the squad as it is but yeah again I mean if 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 I were Arteta I probably would try to bring in another striker Mbappe. who
1: <laughs> come on we need, to, we need to sign Mbappe like if we sign Mbappe we'd have to give you... PSG a
0: piece of the club to afford him. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean listen I'd I'd Honestly, no, I can't even bring myself to say I love Mbappe. I think, I mean, Mbappe's the best player in the world, but I, I just think he, uh, it, it, this would all be about him once we signed him. And I just don't think that's compatible with us as a team. I mean, if he so. wins
1: us the Champions League and Premier League, he can show all the ego he wants. He can come to train whenever he wants. Just yeah. win us the Premier League and Champions League. <laughs> But no, I, it, I mean, on a serious note, like I would love for Arsenal to bring in a player like that at some point in the future, you know, who it's like, it sends like tremors across the footballing world that Arsenal actually pulled off a deal like that. And I think from an attraction point of view, like we can attract that player. I guess it's about finances and how you tie it into the culture, as you mentioned. But yeah, it's something interesting. I
0: think I think another thing on Balogun is... Um... Carl, uh, Carl Anka, it's Anka Anka. I think it's Anka. Carl Anka from yeah, uh, the Athletic Channel, right. Yeah, yeah. He did mm-hmm. a Tifo video recently, where mm-hmm. he was talking about Balogun, and he mentioned at the top of the video that the Athletic, you know, their 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 data visuals department had kind of come up with this this stat, and um, that. How do I put this? You know how like on FB Ref like it shows you like the ten players most similar to whoever you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah, so the athletic had something similar and one of the one of the ten players, or I guess the player most similar to Harry Kane right now was Falar and Balogun. Oh my um, god. I'm yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's interesting. And, and and for me personally, I think that would have been enough to make me keep Balogun at the club and see what we can do there but i think this is also just down to balogun being kind of impatient frankly and and you know really backing himself to want to go start somewhere which you know i get but um you know at the, at the end of the day um that's probably going to mean that he goes abroad and starts somewhere else that's not arsenal so um mm-hmm. yeah i think i think we're kind of in limbo at the moment in terms of our backup striker which you know, there are worse places to be. So um yeah, yeah we'll see what happens. But I think Enkedia is really going to have to step it up if um if he wants to fit in at the level that we're trying to play at.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. And quite uh disappointed actually with the way he played yesterday because he got a good chance, I thought he even started ahead of Jesus yesterday but decent players around him and I think it's I mean I also think beyond a point like he's doing his best you know and I just think we need more for that position to be frank and like I think we need someone who's even better than Gabriel Jesus and I'm a huge fan of him but I think Arsenal can do even better and I would like to, us to bring bring in that centre forward who's going to be really decisive and win us games the way Haaland did for Man City Because I genuinely believe, I know Haaland didn't score in the final of the Champions League but I just think that his presence and his decisiveness in front of goal is probably the defining factor behind City winning the treble last season versus them not being able to do it in the seasons before and I would like for Arsenal to also have decisive players on both boxes, Arteta keeps speaking about boxes, boxes, boxes being important but I wish he signed more players who are really decisive in, like the opponent's box. Like even Havertz. Like I'm, I'm very excited by this signing, but I would not consider to consider him to be like the most decisive player right now. So yeah, I think we need to bring in players who are ruthless, who just smash in the chance when they get one. And I guess this is the challenge for Arteta, um, and the scouting team. But I think this yeah. is a good point uh for us to close part one of the podcast um it's been a very fascinating discussion on not just the game but also our squad building and what um, the future holds for us the second half of the podcast is going to be around listener questions so we will be back with the second part of the podcast with the listener questions right after this stay tuned
0: And we're back with part two of the pod in which we take listener questions. So we, uh, we had, you know we, we made a um, how do I put this? We made a return to, to the listener question format. So we have solicited your questions on Twitter and some of you have gotten back to us with some great questions, which we're very thankful for. And um, Sash, do you want to take the first listener question or shall I?
1: You go ahead, my friend.
0: Okay. So this first listener question comes from... Sorry, I'm just pulling it up real quick. All right. The first listener question comes from Zach at Martin 2 And he asks, Do you think Tierney will have a bigger role to play next season? If so, how do you think Arteta will use him? Uh so so I think I think Tyranny will have a slightly bigger role. I don't think you'll have a big role to play this coming season. Just because, you know, again, there's so many people in that left back position who frankly offer more than tyranny does. I think Tyranny is very useful in very particular situations, but you know, I think you have Zinchenko who is still probably, for my money, the starting left back um, on the team. And I think we're going to see him, you know, kind of do what he did with Party last season. And I think he's going to invert a lot and hold Rice's hand, especially during the opening stages of his Arsenal career. But you also have Kivior, who has shown over the last few months that he can play that role as well. Uh, obviously, not again, not to the the level that Zinchenko can, but I think he can play it pretty adeptly. And then Tomiyasu, I think, is just more trusted there, there for Arteta than, than Tierney is at the moment. But I do think the fact that we are starting to use more inverted right-backs, especially with Timber around, I think that does create an opportunity for Tierney to play in more situations where we might need a more attacking fullback on the left and um, you know again Tierney I think better than the other guys that we have in the squad can bomb up the flank really effectively can fire and crosses can combine on that left hand side with the likes of Martinelli Trossard Jesus potentially Havertz as well so yeah I think that's that's kind of what he'll be able to do but you know I think his I think his technical quality is really limited and that puts a ceiling on what he'll be able to do for us so you know I will we'll definitely see him more than we saw him this past season but I wouldn't hold my breath for you know 25 appearances or something like that but um Sash what do you think
1: yeah i i can actually see tierney being used as this plan b who comes off the bench to shut out a game because i think he can do that really well uh, for those of you who were fans of arsenal back in 2012 wenger used to do this really famous substitution where he would bring nacho monreal on i think for lucas Podolski, and he would stick monreal on the left touch line and Monreal would just basically Yes, this wing-back who would help out defensively but also offer something in attack. So I see Tierney playing that sort of role because I see Arsenal being a team that hopefully will be leading a lot of games after the 80th minute mark. And yeah, my hope is that Tierney would come on and just shore things up and make sure that we see the result uh, over the line. And I guess he would be the alternative to Rob Holding in a situation like this where he comes on and just Closes out uh, a game. So I see him doing that. But I also see him playing like the Carabao Cup matches. um, Also the FA Cup matches. Because I know we have KVR and Zinchenko. But I think for those games. You could always play KVR as one of the centre backs as well. And I think Arteta has brought in players like this. Who are adaptable. Because he wants to make sure that. Yeah no matter what the situation is. He can have a functional back four. And I think there's definitely a place for Tierney at Arsenal. It's just that he might not be the guy starting games week in and week out. But you know something you never know. Like, I don't want this to happen, obviously, but what if Martinelli gets injured and suddenly you want to play Trossard on that left-hand side? I think if you're playing Trossard there, it definitely makes more sense to have a player who naturally overlaps with Trossard tucking in. And I think in a situation like this, There's definitely a place for Kieran um, in the starting 11. So, quite interesting to see how this one pans out. I think he might end up staying because there's absolutely no reported interest as of now. And we're going to be in August next week. Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, I think we have to find a way to fit him. And I think he's a really good player despite the technical deficiencies. And I think if you use him in the way that he can be used to his strengths... I think we have a really good player and he didn't become bad overnight. He was one of our most important players like just few years ago. Obviously the project has evolved, but he's still a good player and I think he can still offer a lot for us and not just what he brings on the pitch, but also his character and his work ethic off the pitch is something that I think is very important. Like Artita speaks about culture and things like this. And I think Tierney is a player who right from the start has bought into it. and has publicly defended the manager when things were hard as well. So I don't personally want to lose a player like this. I think still he's one of my favorite players uh, in the squad. And yeah, I really hope a Ramon Tada uh, on the cards for him. But going into the going into the next question, um, this comes from Gary Joy on Twitter. You can find him at GWJoy63. He asks... Do we have the most fickle fan base in the world of football? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> I mean, I think all fan bases have fans that are fickle, and I think Arsenal obviously has such a huge fan base, and it's these fickle fans who are sometimes the most loudest on social media. Um, I would definitely say that the fickle fans of Arsenal are the most loudest, like writing off the team after one defeat yesterday and then jumping to conclusions on Rice, on Hawards, on Arteta, on the project just based on one preseason game is pretty crazy to be honest. Um, But you know, we live in a world where everyone is allowed an opinion and no matter how ridiculous the opinion is, you're allowed to um, like basically express it. But personally, what I would say is that we have to maintain composure Arteta has tried something different in a pre-season match. He wanted to basically change things up and see how this new midfield would look. He also had timber there. So all our new signings playing together for the first time in the build-up phase, which is probably the most difficult part of like the pitch where you're being pressed and you need to play out of it. And yeah, obviously it didn't work out yesterday. But isn't this what pre-season is for? To experiment these things to learn from these mistakes and this and that's what I want to see as well. Like make whatever mistakes you want to make during the preseason and don't take it into the actual season. So yeah, like some of these fickle fans just writing everything off, like I really don't know what to say to them. I would just say to everyone, like be calm and composed and see where this takes us. And yeah. Sham What do you think? Do we have the most fickle fans in the world? <laughs> uh no comment (laughs) if i speak i'm in big
0: trouble (laughs) big big trouble um yeah no i am i'll I'll say this um well okay I'll, i'll i'll give a little bit of tough love first and then i'll be nicer but we are you know back in the big time right we we competed for the title we're in the champions league we have broken the English transfer record. You know, this is it. We're in the limelight. And I've seen people freak out that Manchester City placed a low bid on a player that we are interested in. I've seen people freak out about signings not being announced fast enough. I've seen people freak out about a friendly now. And just, you know, as as, as, as kindly as I can say this if you are getting upset now you are not going to survive this coming season right we are gonna try to compete for the title again we are going to be competing for the champions league we're going to try to win you know maybe one of the domestic cups as well there are going to be trials and tribulations the teams around us have gotten stronger if you are freaking out every weekend <laughs> over something then you know it's going to yep. be a short season for you um but yeah. That that being said, you know, particularly on on this match and people being disappointed and upset about it, um, yeah, I mean, it's not fun to lose to United in front of the world, basically, even if it is a friendly, but the way I think people need to see it is that this is the time when you're supposed to be making mistakes. This is when you're supposed to be seeing what doesn't work because... If we're doing, you know, if if this is happening to us in November, where we're rolling out a midfield for the first time and, you know, seeing the the issues and seeing the tweaks that we need to make, and we're losing points because of it, you know, that's a problem. But if we're doing it now, which is when we're supposed to be doing it, um, you know, I'm fine with it. If 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 this is when we're taking the L's and then that that's great, because that means we're learning during the season when we lose games that means that we've lost games and we've lost points and we're less likely to win trophies and and silverware during preseason when you're losing when you're drawing when you're conceding goals when you're when you're looking disjointed and the press isn't working and and your goalkeeper is letting in bad goals that's just you learning what there is to do and learning what there is to fix and and just progressing as a team so you know i think it's just important to take this on the chin and hope that arteta and the rest of the coaching staff and the players learn from this experience and and figure out what they need to do to come back better next time so um yeah that's that's um that's all i have to say on the uh on the question i think um i think yeah i think people just need to kind of Relax a little bit and and remember that you can't win them all, and things <laughs> happen, and that there are other good teams out there that are occasionally going to give you trouble. So that's uh, a very yeah. mature
1: response.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, well, I mean, I'm getting older, so I don't really have, <laughs> um, I don't have the constitution to be panicking about things anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just. <laughs> i'm not going to last too long if i keep doing that so um so yeah and that's that's a lesson i think other people need to learn um Mm -hmm. my i think the next question i'll take here is from hamesh r at hamesh 187 and he asks or they sorry they ask do you think we have enough goals in attack Last season, we sort of shared it around, but in the business end, the goals drying up sort of caught up as youngsters went cold, which is expected. Yes, they are a year older, but will it be enough to sustain another chi- challenge to the end? Um, I'm not worried about about our, our goal contribution, our, our where the goals are coming from. Because Saka had 25 goal contributions. Odegaard had 20 plus, Martinelli had 20 plus, Um, you know, Jesus, I think, got to 15, I want to say, and he was injured for four months. So, Xhaka also, I think, had 16 goal contributions, and we brought in a player who is more potent going forward. So, yeah, I'm not particularly worried about about the goal contributions. I know things dried up at the end, but I think that more so had to do with our build-up being shot to pieces because Saliba was gone. I don't think that necessarily had to do with the tip of the spear itself. So, yeah, I think um, you know, I'm expecting similar numbers next season for Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli. I'm I'm probably going to keep my expectations tempered for Havertz as he adjusts but i think he's good for at least 15 and then i think jesus if he can stay fit the whole season can give us 20 and then you know we also have trussard playing for a whole season and he had 10 goal contributions in the second half of the season last time we still have encedia who i think you know despite his his de- his deficiencies in build up play and his hold up i i still think you know he can contribute around 8 to 10 and um I think Nelson also will will be a bigger part. And Smith Rowe as well will will return to the team. So there's there's a lot of goal contributions to be had in the players I've listed there. Um and Gabrielle always seems to be good for, you know, four to six headed goals from set pieces as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not I'm not worried, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if we managed to hit hundred goals this season. So um the the big problem for me, well not the big problem but i think the biggest concern that i would have for this team is just our our defensive uh, solidity in midfield i think that's the thing that we have to make sure we have down pat but in terms of who's scoring the goals i think um i think that's pretty
1: settled right now but yeah. sash do you have any different thoughts there no not really but this is one thing i want to add here in and- for me, it's not, like you said, I don't, I'm i not worried about us scoring enough goals. For me, the worry is about the timing of the goals. So, in a really big game, can we be decisive in front of goal? Because we have players, I think, in our team who are not always very decisive. And I guess it's in these crucial moments of the season. Like when you're, say, in April and you're competing for the league with City. And let's say you're playing... I don't know, it can be Southampton at home or it could be Liverpool away. Can you take your chances in those games when you get it? Can you be ruthless and finish when the going gets tough? In a crunch Champions League knockout game against Real Madrid in a quarter-final, are you going to take the chance that you get? These are the things that, for me, are a concern because I feel like we still are missing that one player who can absolutely take the one chance he gets. I'm not sure we have that player. I think Martinelli is our best finisher. um, Despite his misses yesterday. But I think he's our best finisher. I think Saka has improved a lot. I think Gabriel Jesus. I know he scores a lot. But he also misses a lot. And I think that's a little bit of like. Lack of reliability in that regard. Because he went like three months without scoring. And then he goes on a run where he scores a few. And then he doesn't score a few. And he like. I don't know. I I personally would still prefer a striker who's absolutely ruthless in finishes and buries that one chance that he gets. I think Smith Rowe coming back, if Smith Rowe could add some goals, that would be massive for us because I think he's a really good finisher as well. Who has a real sniff, I guess, and smell for where the goal is. And if he can get back to his levels from a couple of years ago after his injury and whatnot, I think that can also help us. So... Yeah, I think there's some hope in our team. Smith Rowe especially coming in might, I think, change things up. And maybe a more confident Kai Havertz might finish chances better than he was like recently at Chelsea. Um, And yeah, I think even Fabio Vieira, if he gets the chance and if he gets the confidence, I think he's another player who is really decisive actually in the final third. I think his struggles have been in other positions, uh, other areas of the pitch. So we have some players who can do it. But I still think, yes, that one centre forward who can finish and take the chances, I think we are missing that. And even if that's not addressed this summer, I'm sure it will be addressed next summer. But yes, that's my only concern, I guess, going into uh, the season. Now, the last question is actually related to the player we were, I was just speaking about, Fabio Vieira. It's a very interesting question. It comes from uh, Semperfi Arsenal on Twitter. And he asks, do you think Vieira needs a loan? Because he looks devoid of confidence. It's an interesting question. I personally think he doesn't really need a loan. I think he's sort of acclimatized to the team. Like he's been here for a year now. He's been a part of this preseason. So I think for him now, I think it's his make or break season such is the competition, like, I know it's only second season and he's still a young player, but there's guard in that position, there is Havertz who has been signed, there's Smithrow who can play there. there's Trossard who could play that. Now people are saying like Declan Rice can also play in that left eight row. And on top of this, people are also asking for like a new signing. And then there's this whole links with Kudus who can play right wing, but also... Down the middle so the competition in that area is fierce you know and rather than making Fabio Vieira like escape this competition be like no you won't play what I would do personally if I was the coach is I would tell Vieira like this is now or never for you this season you have to show what you're made of and you have to fight for your place and if you're good enough to be better than all these players I just mentioned you will play. But if you're not, you need to be moved on. And I think that's what we also want as fans, that healthy competition between players. And the sport is ruthless, you know. Like, if you're not good enough, you get shipped. But I think from a high-performance culture, that is a good thing. And having Vieira compete with all of these other midfielders, I think will do him a world of good as well. I think pressure can either make or break you. And I think for Vieira, it's about... Him really believing in himself and looking to push himself beyond like his limits. I know at the moment he's not doing so good. Like his confidence maybe might be affected, or maybe he's just not fully in the rhythm because it's pre-season. But I want to give him this season, give him this season to prove himself. And it need not even be in like crunch Premier League games. He will get chances to play in the cup competitions and. Sham, I know I've told you this before as well, like earlier on in the season. Like, I don't want us to win the cup competitions next season. Like, I want us to win the Carabao Cup. I want us to win the FA Cup, yeah? And whatever competition we are in, I want us to win it. And for that, we need a big squad. And we need the players within the squad to be at it when they get the chance. And I think that is what Vieira will be judged on. If he can play a crucial role in our Carabao Cup and FA Cup matches and really show everyone that He has stepped up. I'm sure he will get the chances in the Premier League as well. So for him, it's just about pushing himself beyond his levels because he's such a talented player and it would be a real shame if he didn't make it at Arsenal because aged like 21, he was topping the assist charts in Portugal and he even showed glimpses of what he can do last season. Like his ball striking is phenomenal. His final third play, I think, is probably the best in the team and... I know this is a very controversial take, but the other day I put out a tweet asking fans if there was one player in the final third you wanted to play that killer pass. Who is that player? And personally, I picked Fabio Vieira because I still believe that his final ball is the best in this team. And if he can improve the other elements of his game, how he receives the ball and build up his defensive intensity off the ball and to find a way to cope with physicality despite not being so physical himself. If he needs if he can figure out these elements of this game and improve, I'm sure he will be a real asset for this team uh for the years to come. But what I will say is this this season for me is make or break for him. And yeah, let's see what happens. But Sham, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I, I really agree that this is a make or break
0: season for Vieira. Um you know I think last season you could kind of write it off as him needing to get adjusted to the Premier League and having to you know kind of um, uh, acclimatize to the physicality that maybe he didn't encounter in the Portuguese League but you know we're this is you know we're approaching the end game for the for this project I think I'll put it like that and um you have to be ready. You have to be sharp. You have to contribute. And if you don't, you're out. So, you know, he has Smith Rowe coming for his position. He has, um, you know, potentially – I mean, he already has Odegaard ahead of him. He has potentially maybe Trossard who could take his position. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys. I Actually, I think Party might also be competition for that right eight at some point in the season, depending on how, you know – we line up and who are playing. I just think Vieira has so much potential about him and we've we've seen those glimpses of quality, right? We've seen those great um you know, final balls to Martinelli. We we've seen that that goal he smashed in against Brentford. But Mm -hmm. it's he needs to put it all together now. And you know, I I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned. I'm not ready to raise the alarm just yet, but you know, I just think there's so much competition there, and he seems so shot for confidence. And that penalty really summed it up for me, where he just blasted it above the bar compared to everybody else who you know slotted it home. So um, yeah, I, I I think he has work to do this season and he he really needs to convince because if he doesn't you know we're already looking at guys who can play where he plays and um yeah. what he provides us in terms of his final ball i don't think is enough to save him in terms of you know the other things that he has to do in order to become an important part of this team and you know i know he has a big friendship with martinelli those two have um you know bromance going but um yeah I, I i really think he needs to show something this season and um, if he doesn't i have a bad feeling that this might be a you know another sandby or nuno tavara situation so um we'll see yeah we'll see what happens with him
1: yep yeah, yeah absolutely it will be quite intriguing to see how the season goes for him and yeah, hopefully it goes well because he's not going to get much chances like to play in the group stage of the Champions League like last season we were in the Europa League so he got chances to play and I think his chances are going to come in the Carabao Cup, in the FA Cup and he has to take the chance uh, when it comes so yeah, let's see what happens there
0: Yep, for sure and yeah, like you said um, there's limited domestic cup games there's no, excuse me there's no Europa League so, you know whatever chances he gets he's going to have to take them so yeah. yeah but um good player he just he just needs to show it um i think that is probably a good place to leave it for this week so mm-hmm. thank you for being here with us thank you for listening to uh Sasha and I you know talk about you know again a disappointing game even though it was a friendly and um yeah we just really appreciate you you know taking this time to um, you know, to, to hear us talk about the Arsenal and to send in your questions, and we hope we answered those for you. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Shamsdale, you can follow Sash at LT Arsenal, you can follow the pod at This Week Arsenal. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, you know, give us um, five star reviews, uh, share with your friends, subscribe, um, all that good stuff. Sash and I will be looking to potentially make a couple changes to the pod in the future, some improvements. We might be adding a video component in the future. Um, So that's all stuff that we're we're working on behind the scenes. So um, stay tuned for that. Be excited. And in the meantime, we will talk to you hopefully after we absolutely destroy Barcelona at the SoFi Stadium, Um, (laughs) you know, Uh, that is if that that stomach bug they all seem to have hasn't gotten to them first. And um, yeah, so I'll talk to you after that. Uh, But until then, take care, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye.